You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. Sex can become a good thing to us that are in Christ, and um, I've I've tried to lay a foundation uh, biblically with uh, how do we approach the subject of sexual intimacy, and and how did, you know, God ordained it, so we know it's not bad, we know that everything that God created is good, amen? And I also talked about how um, in the world, there's two subjects that are talked about more than anything else, and one of them is sex, and the other one is money. And uh, there's two subjects that in the church, if you talk about it, you know, they, they want to crucify you again. And if you, want, you talk about sex or you talk about money, uh, people get very upset, or very few churches talk about what true sexual intimacy is all about. And the other thing is uh, that money is something that God has given us that uh, we can be generous with, that we can really uh, be a blessing with, and money should never possess us. We should possess it. Amen? Money is amoral. It's not immoral or it's not moral. It's neither. Money will go wherever you take it. That's another, that's another series right there. Uh, uh, but sex is, sex will go wherever you take it as well. And uh, we've been talking about biblical sex and how uh, God created it and, and laid a foundation uh, from the very beginning. And, and uh, for this cause, a man will leave his father and mother and will cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh. In that, we see what is the basis for a healthy society, for a healthy family, for healthy communities. And if you were not here for the first two parts of the series, I would encourage you to listen on the podcast to part one and part two. Last week I talked about how there's harmonious sheet music that is made when a husband and wife embrace what God has, has given uh, to us in marriage, and it should be wonderful, and it should, be, uh, it, should fulf- it should make your life more fulfilled. Sex doesn't make a marriage. Amen? Amen. But good sex makes a healthy marriage better. And uh, anything that's, that's not, uh, any, any marriage, any relationship uh, ordained by God uh, that is absent of what God has called good is not healthy. You need to know that if, if, if God has called something good and we're, it's absent in our lives, uh, it's not healthy. So we want to bring health into it. And uh, one of the very important things is, is that uh, um, <clears throat> there are times when there's illness And people cannot have intimacy, and that's where the Holy Spirit produces self-control because there's more to a relationship than just the bedroom and sexual intimacy. There's the the cuddling and loving and being there and persevering through the difficult times and being that kind of a a person in your marriage. So today we're going to progress... And, and, and we've, we've kind of laid this foundation, you know, talking about, you know, what is, the, 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 what is intimacy and how did God ordain it? And then we went to sheet music and then we went, today we're going, what is something that will rob your, your uh, intimacy in marriage? And this is also, you're in here, you may not be married. You may be younger. You don't, you, you're not in a, in, a, in, a, in a marriage relationship, but this will help you to understand what it's supposed to look like. 
And if you're here and if you're, and, and if you're uh, single or, or maybe you're here and you're a grandparent or you're older and, and it's not something that you really, uh, um, how do I say this? <laughs> it's not something that it's very frequent to you. Um, it's, still, it's still something that you can pass on to your children and grandchildren, amen? If it's from God, we should be able to pass that on, pass the things that are important to them. And, uh, and so this is one of the things that is very important. Here's what I want you to know, that there are, there are, there are pure sex robbers. And in John 10.10, 10, it says that there's a thief. And the, the purpose of the thief, which I believe is the enemy of our souls, is to steal and to kill and destroy. Right? And Jesus says, my purpose is to come and to give them a rich and satisfying life. Or a, a, give them life and life abundantly is what Jesus came to do. So that's every aspect of our life. God wants to give us an abundant life. And so in our, in our walk with Christ, in our walk with God, uh, there will be things that will try to come in and hinder this, this abundant life that we can have in Christ. This, this happens in every aspect of our walk. And so I believe that in this series, we've been hearing things that help us to put things back together. And not us, but God. You know, that truth that transforms uh, uh, small group series, that series will help to restore all the broken pieces in your life, including and especially sexual intimacy. Because sexual intimacy or, or where, when you've been broken through, through sexual uh, intimacy, or maybe it wasn't even intimacy, maybe it was a, a, a molestation or a hurt, or all these things that come with the, the flaws that we have because of sin, it breaks people and you can never enjoy the good thing that God created for us. So you have those thieves, right? And so I want us to look, our, our, our scripture text for today is going to be Paul addressing the church in Corinth. And he's talking to them about this very subject that, that I'm talking about. What are the things that come and try to steal this wonderful, wonderful gift that God gave us? And we're going to read exactly to what it says. Now, Paul, in the, in the, in the letter of 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with problems that are in the church. Every single chapter is filled with him dealing with a specific problem and him bringing the solution. For example, in chapter 1, he says, I hear that there are divisions among you. Some of you say that you're of Paul. Some of you say that you're of Apollos. Some of you say that you're of Cephas or Peter. Some of you say that you're of Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? Is he divided? You're not of Paul. You're not of Cephas. You're not of Apollos. All of us are of Christ. And even to this day, people still try to say, well, I'm of Pastor James. I'm one of Pastor James, and I'm, I'm of this person. I listen to this person. God doesn't want to divide the church. He unites us through Jesus Christ. And we're all just messengers. I'm just a messenger communicating the word of God. I'm just like you, except I'm up here speaking. And so we grab a hold of that. So he deals with different problems. In chapter 5, he, he deals with a problem because in the church, there was a, there was a, a, a man who, who started having relationships with his stepmother. And he says, are you kidding me, Paul? I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He says, are you kidding me? Can't you deal with this? He said, not even, the, not even the pagans, not even the Gentile world are doing these kinds of things. And you guys are not dealing with this? And that was sexual sin, right? 
And so he goes on, and in chapter 7, he begins to deal with something because they had asked him a question. They had written to him, and they said, are we supposed to stop having sex because sex is dirty? Sex is no good. Look at what they're doing. Remember in Corinth, there was a temple to the, to the goddess Artemis, and the, the, they had a 1,000 temple prostitu- uh, prostitutes, and they would come down into the city, and they would have on their sandals uh, arrows, and they would say, follow me in, in this, uh, uh, this language, right, of the Athenians, and they would take them up to the temple, and the men would follow them up into the temple, and they would have sexual intimacy or sexual non-intimacy with these prostitutes for worship, Right? Could you imagine if there was a temple on the, right there by the water tower in Oracle, and, and there was a temple to this goddess, and they would have, you know, maybe not a thousand temple prostitutes, but they had a, a hundred, and they would come down into Oracle, they'd come down in Circle K, and they'd have a little stamp on them saying, follow me, follow me, right? <laughs> how, many of, how many living word chapel men would we lose? <laughs> None, praise God. But people would be following, that, that's exactly what was going on right there. And so Paul begins to deal with it, and he wants to teach them that sexual intimacy is not a bad thing. It's sin outside of Christ that makes everything bad, okay? And there's, there's robbers that try to come in. So I'm going to read exactly what he wrote, and, and then we're going to go on to, to the points. After I pray, Father, thank you for every person here. As always, I ask your blessing upon my, my, my words the message that you've, uh, I believe, given me. I pray that I will speak in a way that's going to be very clear and helpful and that everybody that is here uh, under the, 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 can hear my voice, I pray that they'll hear you, Lord God, your word, your message, and uh, I'm just your messenger, but when we leave here, let us have a greater understanding of what you intended for us to have in the confines of marriage. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. So here's how he starts out. Verse 1. Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. Yes. So they asked a question about sexual intimacy. Yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. He said it's good. It's okay for you to not have sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality. Okay. We all have this desire. We all have, as men and women, we all have this desire to be sexual. We talked about that in the first sermon, remember? When you become a teenager, there's hormones that begin to work, and you find out that God created you as a sexual uh, person, right? These things begin to develop. He says, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own what? Husband. Notice the singularity to that. Not husbands and not wives, okay? The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. And that's the only one that should have authority over a wife is her own husband. And the husband gives authority over his body to his own wife. And that's the only one that should have authority over His wife is only the husband. And then he says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. Notice that word, for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to God, to prayer, 
In some translation, it says to fasting and to prayer. There are times in our life when it's important for us to give ourselves to God because we have important decisions ahead of us. We've got important circumstances. We've got situations that are bigger than us. At those times, it's a wonderful time to talk to your spouse and say, hey, why don't we just spend some time prayer, praying? Let's take a week or, or a couple weeks or whatever you agree to, and let's pray, and let's give ourselves wholly to God. That's the only time that the Word of God says for us to do so. He said, afterward... Afterward, you should come together again. Coming together just means have intimacy again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Why does Paul say that? Because he's a man who knows other men and women. And God knows other men and women that all of us, we lack self-control. And that's why we get married so that we can be complete in every aspect of our lives. We can be one emotionally. We can be one spiritually. We can be one physically. We become one like no other other relationship in that. And then he says, I say this as a concession, not as a command. And he goes on and he says in verse 7, and I, I, even though I wish that all of you would remain as I am, he was single. He said, but each one has their own gift from God. So Paul is saying, you know what, I'm, I'm celibate, but Peter's not. Peter's married. John's married. The other apostles, they're married. They have their, their wives. I have this gift where I am not. And there are some people, and you should never feel bad if you're single and you're celibate and you, you've given yourself to God. You should never feel bad about that. That is a wonderful gift. It's like it's a wonderful gift to be married. It's a wonderful gift in whatever place you remain. So there are three R's which try to rob your marriage of vibrant, God-inspired sexual intimacy. And these are the R's that try to steal it. First one is religiosity. Religiosity. What does this mean? It means you're more religious than you are relational. Jesus Christ did not come to make you religious, but he called you and I into a personal relationship with the Father and him. Do you notice that? He didn't come to make you religious. He called you into intimacy. He called you into a, a relationship walk where you can talk to him, where you can actually feel his presence. In fact, the Bible says that we're called into fellowship with the Holy Spirit through our faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit goes everywhere that I go. I'm in, relationship, I'm in a relationship with him. He is my, my counselor, my helper. He, right? Every person of the triune God is relational. And that's how he wants us to, to, to live out our lives. Religi religiosity is restrictive. The grace of Christ is liberating. If you go through the, the 150 people plus that go through the truth that transforms, you are going to come out of the bondage of religion, the bondage of different things, uh, maybe bondage, sexual bondage, maybe something from your past, maybe unforgiveness, maybe bitterness. God is going to set you free because Jesus is not, he is not uh, the, 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 the Lord of religion. He's the, the Lord of a personal relationship. He's the Lord of grace that liberates. Grace always liberates because the Holy Spirit imputes grace into our lives. 
It was the religious people that were indifferent to Christ. It was them that said they never gave him a chance. It was the religious people that would not open their hearts to his word. It was the religious people that said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Religion will never save you. Jesus will. And in the same way, religion causes all kind of havoc in your everyday life. Religion can cause you to become a legalist where you, everything is bad. It's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus you can't go to a movie. Jesus plus you can't wear jeans. Jesus plus you got to wear dresses. Jesus plus you got to have your head covered as a, as a lady. Jesus plus you have to have, you can't have your head covered as a man. Jesus plus something. It's, it's, it's never liberating. It's always adding stuff into your life. That's what legalism does. But the other side is mysticism. You can become mystic where you have to feel this aura. You have to feel this, this kind of presence that's not from God. Because if you don't feel it, you don't feel that God's here. And the list can go on and on. There's robbers through religion that try to come and steal every good thing that God has. But Jesus' disciples, they grew it in a relationship with their Savior. And they grew in this Christ-centered intimacy, and that's exactly what God wants for all of us, to grow in this Christ-centered intimacy with God. So this, these, these uh, um, uh, people, these, these church people in Corinth, these congregants, they wrote this letter to Paul, and they said, should we abstain from sexual intimacy? Let me put it another way. The way they probably said it, should we abstain from sex because it's dirty? You see, they were, they were, the, the, that church was, was penetrated by this, uh, uh, by this philosophy, this teaching called Gnosticism. And the Gnostics, the root word, word there is Gnosis, where we get the word knowledge from. The, the, the Gnostics taught that there was this secret hidden knowledge that only a certain people could get. And if you, were, if you could get into this mystical, certain knowledge, then you, were, you would get closer to God like everyone else. But the Gnostics taught, and so did, uh, so did uh, uh, Plato, uh, Platoism, and, uh, and also, um, it'll come to my mind in a little bit. All of this uh, Greek philosophy taught that the, that the body was evil, but the spirit was good. So the whole intent was for you to get rid of the body because the body's evil. And so, the, so as they, this had... uh, permeated and penetrated these Christians there in Corinth. They said, the body is so evil, we've got to get rid of it. We can't have sex because sex is dirty. But I want you to think about this. Who created our bodies? God. Amen? Our bodies are not evil. It's what we do with our bodies that are sometimes evil. Amen? It's sin that's coming from the, from the outside trying to penetrate our heart that creates all kinds of evil thoughts, murder, gossip, all these things. And so Paul is saying, it's not your bodies that are evil. It's the sin that's trying to penetrate your life and your body. And he begins to teach them. And then he says this. He says, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. And there's a spiritual and, and a practical logic in this statement. How are you going to win your neighbors, your coworkers to Jesus if your marriage is a mess because you have a sexless life and your, li- your, your sex life is non-existent? 
And you, and you, 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 you know, you, you, you move from this non-existent sex life in marriage, uh, and you think it's not important to me. And, and when you think this way, you're fooling yourself because divorce courts are full of couples who are dissatisfied with their husband and their wives and have no intimacy. And when I talked about intimacy from the first part, sexual intimacy is the icing on the cake. But the reality is intimacy starts with holding hands. Intimacy st- starts with talking uh, beautiful words to one another. Intimacy starts with hugging one another and embracing one another. And then it, 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 the, 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 the icing on the cake is you become sexual in, in your marriage. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Religion sometimes calls this dirty and calls this bad. And Paul writes something that's vital. He says, husband, fulfill your wife's needs. There's a God-given need in every woman to be intimate with her husband. And it's been placed there by God. And God has given the husband the privilege and responsibility to fulfill this great and beautiful gift. The Holy Spirit leads Paul to wife, I mean to write, wives, fulfill your husband's needs. There's a God-given need in, in, in a man to be intimate with his wife, and he, it, he will be the grouch of the city until this need is met. And if you're not laughing and you're married, you're, 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 you're lying. I love what uh, um, Dave Willis, Dave Willis, Pastor Dave and his, and his wife, um, Ashley, uh, wrote this great book. It's called The Naked Marriage. I'm, I'm reading through it right now. Wonderful man of God and wonderful teacher. And if, write that name down if you want to review some of his work. Uh, because it's very helpful, especially in marriages. And he says this uh, when you're talking about communication, how you can have naked communication where there's nothing that you, you cover your, your relationship with. In other words, I'm not hiding anything from my wife, and she's not hiding anything from me. How important is that to our relationship? You know, if I don't expose myself to my wife and she doesn't expose herself to me in every aspect of our lives, we're hiding things from each other. How detrimental can that be to our, to our one flesh? And so, so Dave writes this about, um, he says, uh, you can't, he says, you can't leave out uh, what, let me read it. Okay, this is, this is the naked communication. So we can't leave out that he would love to hear in your sexiest voice, this is Dave writing. Don't get mad at me, okay? This is him. No, I'm not going to say that. Dave, you I'm not going to say that. But I'm going to move down. But read it. It's a great book. He says this. I can promise you that when you say anything sexually suggestive, or seductive to your husband, it will make his day. So you really want to read what he said on the top. So he's thinking about sex even more than you think he is. So wives, you need to know this about your husband. And when you're the one who initiates, he feels desired, respected, excited, and connected to you. He wants to know you've never outgrown your crush on him. There are plenty of other statements men want to hear, but if you'll start with these, you'll be on the right track. Your husband needs you to, to initiate sex, and he needs you to be receptive when he invites it, when he, when he initiates it. Isn't that biblical? 
We just talked about that, right? He thinks about sex all the time. No matter what he's doing at, th- at this exact moment, he would probably much rather be making love to you, and he's most likely thinking about it right now. So all you men, stop thinking about that. I'm preaching right now. The average man, the average man has a sexual thought at least once per minute every waking hour of the day. Now, he's being transparent. He's being honest, okay? Men who are happiest with their wives almost always cite strong sexual satisfaction as one of the major reasons. And so here's what I'll say to you guys, okay? Here's your action step. Make it a goal to fulfill the sexual needs of your spouse with the understanding that it's great for your marriage and it glorifies God, okay? It glorifies God. Don't pull, don't pull the religious card and say you can't have sex because it's dirty or it doesn't please God. The word of God teaches us different, okay? Here's the second. Here's the second R. Resistance. Resistance. The first thing we need to know is that resistance can be a good thing. For example, we can resist temptation by renewing our minds with the words of, of, of the scripture. We can resist sin by putting on the armor of God. The full armor of God. We can resist sin. We can resist the enemy by standing our ground and being rooted in Christ. In fact, the Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But resistance can also be harmful, right? You can resist the love of God. Shauna sang the song on reckless love. God has a reckless love. God doesn't care about what people are going to say. God doesn't care about his reputation when he goes after the, the biggest sinner in the town. He doesn't care that people are going to say, Do you, how can you love him? How can you love her? God doesn't care about that. God's love is, is great, 100% full love for whoever is needy of his love. But how many of you know that that greatest sinner in the town can resist the love of God? Right? We can resist the forgiveness of Jesus. Some people live their life with unforgiveness. They can resist the forgiveness of Jesus. And until you appropriate his forgiveness, you can't give it out. Hear me now. There's someone in here. You, you are living in unforgiveness. The reason is you have not let God, you have not received his forgiveness for you. You're fully forgiven in Christ. Completely. 100%. Past, present, and future. Now, when you walk in that, you can give it out. But some people resist the forgiveness of, of Jesus. How many of, you, how many of you know you can resist the power of the Holy Spirit? Right? You can quench the Spirit from working in your life. And you do everything in your own power. Even if you read the Bible all the time. Oh, I'm going to do this. Can I tell you? I can read the Bible every single day and try to do things in my own strength and I'll fail. But if I, if I allow the power of the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me, these words come to life. The law, the law, the, the letter of the law brings death, but the Spirit brings life. And so you cannot quench the Holy Spirit, but you can resist him. But nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it teach us to resist our spouse of intimacy or affection. I'm going to say that again. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach us to resist our spouse of intimacy or affection. In fact, it teaches us the opposite. We should embrace their love. I should embrace my wife's love, and she should embrace mine. We should desire intimacy. 
We should seek for a closer relationship. Anything outside of this is not a healthy marriage. Anytime that you're resisting, you are actually resisting all the good that God wants to do in your marriage. And we have a lot of broken relationships that are going on in our schools, in our uh, products in our schools, products in our communities, because people have resisted the true intimacy that God desires for every husband and wife. If you continually resist one another you will eventually grow apart because resisting each other is a pure sex killer. And so the Bible tells us the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, not anybody else. Nobody else should have authority over my wife's body but me. And the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. No one else should have authority over my body except for my wife, right? What does it mean to give authority over to our spouse? It means that their greater good is more important than than ours. It means that we care more about pleasing them than pleasing ourselves. And it takes us from selfish to selfless. And that's exactly who Jesus Christ is. Jesus was God in the flesh, but he emptied himself and became like us so that he could have an intimate relationship with us as his people. It also comes with trust and not with manipulation or disrespect. The bedroom should be a place of beauty and never be a place of shame. So this means that we never, ever make our spouse compromise compromise their integrity. We never make them do something that violates their convictions. It should never make them feel shameful. If you ever hear the word, you're going to do what? That means don't. We should never, ever go to that place. Remember that uh, the wife was created to complete the husband in the same way the husband is incomplete without the wife and especially true in sexual intimacy. So here's your action step. Take steps to find the root of why you're resistant in your sexual intimacy with your spouse and seek and embrace God's healing and grace to overcome. If you're not experiencing healthy sexual intimacy in your marriage, you're bound by something. And Jesus came to set you free. And you can find this freedom, and and I just believe it. You can find this freedom in the Truth That Transforms series. When Sean and I came to Christ, and I won't speak for her, but I came in with so much baggage. I was like this suitcase, and we explained it really well. Sean explained it really well about, I was like a suitcase with a bunch of handles, and the devil would keep pulling every handle as I started walking with God. Look at who you've been. You think you're this Christian? Look at what you've done. Look at all these things that you've done. And truth that transforms is understanding that Jesus saved us not only from our sins, but from the product of our sins and the effect of our sins so we could be holy and righteous in what he did, not what we can do. And he cleanses us from all our unrighteousness and all the unrighteousness that was done to us. If you were molested, if you were raped, if you were hurt, whatever has happened to you, God can cleanse that. He can rip that out of your, he can do that surgery and take that out and put a heart that's 
a heart of holiness, a heart of love, a heart of grace, so that you can enjoy the intimacy that God always intended. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, for this cause, a man's going to leave his father and mother, and they're going to cleave to his wife, and they're going to become one, and they were naked and not ashamed. God looked back, and he said, this is so good. This is so very good. God does not want a marriage to not be intimate. But we, we, we mess it up in our flesh. We mess it up because of our sinful nature. We, we do things in our, own, in our own strength. And can I tell you, we open up those doors, and you, you need to have those doors closed. You need to find out what is the stumbling block. What is the thing that's keeping you from being truly intimate with your spouse? And do something about it. Quit wasting another day. Quit wasting another year that you go on thinking, I hate this. I hate him coming home. I hate her coming home. I hate bedtime. It should never be that way with God in our life. Amen? Man, it's quiet in here. The third, the, the third uh, thief of sexual intimacy is rejection. One of the greatest truths we could realize is that God will never reject you. No matter what you've done, he's always ready to accept you by his grace and his love. In fact, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said this. He said, God predestined us to adoption as his sons and daughters by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. And once you realize that God has accepted you in Christ... There's true and real security which enables you to walk confident as a child of God. Rejection stinks. It ushers in all kinds of negative fruit in our lives. When you're rejected, it it deters us from being able to love people because you're afraid of that same rejection over and over and over again. It prohibits you from receiving the love of others. It harbors bitterness in your life. It causes strife. When you're rejected at night in the bedroom or in the day or whatever, you have a lot of strife because you're upset because you felt rejected. It stirs jealousy. Why are you rejecting me? Why are you so nice to that guy? Why are you so nice to that woman? It stirs jealousy. It festers insecurities. What's wrong with me? Why is she rejecting me? Why? What's wrong with me? It generates fear. I'm not even going to go in there and, and, and ask her if she wants to be intimate. I'm not going to go and ask him because I'm afraid she's going to reject me again. And it's going to add another layer to that rejection. And that, that cake, it's not a good cake, guys. It keeps adding layers and layers of rejection. I don't want anyone to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you two questions. Have you ever felt rejected in your life? And how about you as a spouse? Have you ever been rejected by your spouse in the bedroom? There's nothing worse than for spouses to reject each other, especially in the greatest gift that you have as a married couple. There is not a place that you'll be as vulnerable than you will be in intimacy. I've ca- I can't even tell you how many men I've, I've counseled in, in, in marriage problems. I'm talking about leaders in the church and people that are not leaders. And one of the greatest 
one of the greatest uh, complaints at the top of the list that, that men will constantly talk to me about is their wives rejecting them in the bedroom. And marriages are destroyed because of rejection. Because when you walk away rejected, you cannot think about anything else. And it doesn't go away. And it begins to open up a door for the devil in your life. And it begins to open up a door for your intimacy. Instead of you having this close intimacy, you begin to have it severed. That wedge begins to build and the devil begins to work. And so Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, what are you talking about? Don't, you, sex isn't, isn't bad. And he goes, he says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations. Don't reject each other. Don't deprive each other. He says, unless, unless you both agree and you refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. That's the only time that a husband and a wife should refrain from, from, from being intimate. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, there's, there's balance in this. There's, there's a great balance. And, and there should be times that you solely give yourself to God. For 21 days, we gave ourselves to praying for, to God for our lives here at this church. And we prayed specifically, petitioned for very specific, pointed things. And I believe that God answered. And in those 21 days, in those 21 days, we grew closer to God because we were intimate with God. We actually initiated time with him. We sacrificed time with him. And that's how we should be with our wives. That's how we should be with our husbands. That you actually initiate intimacy. That you actually initiate times where you come together. Rejection destroys marriages. Jennifer Smith, this is a, another great book, R write this author down, Jennifer Smith, she wrote a book called The Unveiled Wife, and she came out of a life of, of, uh, of um, abuse, sexual abuse, and God had to do a lot of healing, and she writes this, there's a pattern that we're seeing that we must acknowledge. The pattern seems to be an underlying issue for many broken and sexless marriages. It all boils down to the intimacy crisis. We have witnessed men seeking advice as to why they feel unaccepted by their wives. They feel undesirable and some even feel inadequate as a lover. With all the temptation of lust in this world, unfulfilled intimacy in marriage will make it an even greater temptation for husbands. Some husbands also struggle with desiring intimacy with their wife and the rejection causes tension in their relationship. And then she goes on to say, on the other hand, women are brokenhearted that our men have stopped pursuing us. We are waiting to be romanticized, yet the idea of sex is tangled up with seeing it as a chore or work, or there is a lack of desire, or other things take priority, leaving no energy to even attempt. We reject our husbands with excuses or emotional baggage we are unwilling to let go of. We are tempted to seek emotional connections with others who might understand us better than our own husbands. And you need to know this, that there will always be someone that will tell you what you want to hear. There will always be someone that will dress up to you and put a little bit of paint on the barn for you. 
if we protect ourselves. The inevitable horror won't happen if we protect ourselves. But I'm one bad thought from failing. I am one, I am one uh, by not processing uh, a, a relationship. If I, if I allow my relationship to get off a of center, I'm one bad day into a failure. I'm just as vulnerable as anyone else. A lot greater men of God have fallen than James Reese, and I know that. And so I make it my goal. I make it my goal to protect what we have. And she makes it her goal to protect what we have. And you need to make it your goal. So I wanted Shauna just to share. Um, I'm, I'm done, babe. I'm going to pray right now. Just what you did last service. I really desired for her. And, and the next, I, I'm only going to do this series every three years. Because it's a hard series. We'll practice up to the three years, okay? Take that however you want. Um, but the reality is that it's a, very, it's a very difficult subject, but it's such a needed subject. But one of the things that I, in talking to Shauna is, I can't really say from a woman's perspective what you, what you gals are feeling and what you go through. I can, I can speak from a man's perspective because I talk to a lot of men, and I am a man. And I know that we're visually stimulated. That's why, that's why Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look and lust at a young woman. Why, did, why didn't Job say, I made a covenant with my heart? I made a covenant with my emotions not to let these young women talk to me. Men that are having affairs, they don't care about what the women are saying. But you wear something that's going to stimulate them. They're going to say, man, hey, you know, I'll talk to you really nice. Even though I'm not talking nice to my wife, I'll talk to you really nice. You see what I'm saying right there? You have to guard? Okay, Sean. Um, I just said uh, first service that, um, you know, I can remember um, when our kids were at home and, you know, we were full-time ministry and busy, busy, busy. And, you know, the challenges of as a mom and a wife um, of making that time for your husband, I mean, you can get to the place where you do think, oh, it, this is a chore or this is, and that's not the way God ever intended it to be. He never intended our kids to take precedent over our relationship, never. He's given our kids as a gift to send out far away. They come back. And we keep sending them. But, you know, and that's, that's something that I've seen in a lot of women is, you know, their whole life, their hearts, they've poured it into their kids, and that's okay, but they left their husband out. And then you've got these broken relationships when the kids are gone because they didn't focus on each other. So, you know... We go through those seasons in life, and I think the important thing is just having someone you can talk to um, as a wife, as a mom, uh, somebody that can pray with you, um, another woman um, that, you know, um, we, we can talk about a lot of things that maybe, you know, some couples don't feel comfortable talking about. And so I just wanted to encourage you in that, that, um, you know, uh, the enemy is always attacking and he doesn't stop at the church door. And so this series I know was hard for my husband. I've had a lot of women say, thank you for letting him share that um, because it, we need to hear it. And I know we do. I, I work in the school. I know what the students are hearing, and they're not hearing this. 
So, um, uh, you know, I just want to encourage you. And, you know, if your marriage is struggling or if you're struggling and maybe your spouse isn't here, you know, God is greater than anything we face. And so don't leave here today without letting someone pray with you, encourage you. Let us stand with you and believe that God is going to do big things in your relationship because he can. He's able. Amen. Lord, I thank you so much for this service, God. Lord, I thank you for your word, for your truth, Lord, for your truth that sets us free, God, from all of the lies and the tricks that the enemy tries to place on us. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God that restores and heals. I can testify to that, God. I know where you've taken me, what you took me out of, and where you've brought me. And I thank you for that, God. Lord, I thank you that you are a God that that restores broken relationships, God. You are a God that restores uh, hearts that have been rejected and hearts that have been hurt. And so we thank you so much for that this morning. I pray for everyone in here, God. You know exactly where they're at. You know what's going on in their lives. And thank you, God, that you meet us right where we're at. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.